0: Hello everyone, my name is Jason West, and this is PodClass. Well, here we are. Episode 2 of The Lost Episodes. I am really excited to share this episode with you all. Uh, This is, I think, the direction the show is going to be taking. I have played with the format a little bit. just some very exciting stuff all around. Uh, I would love to get your feedback on it. So please let me know what you think. You can hit me up on social media under the username at Teach Me Mr. West or via email at PodclassPod. That's PodclassPod at gmail.com. My special guest this week is Gilbert Salazar. He is a restorative justice coach and strategist at the California Conference for Equality and Justice. Covered a lot of really interesting ground in this interview. And again, like I said, played around with the format a bit, and I'm excited to get your thoughts on it. But before we get into the interview, let's get started with uh, my recap of the week in a quick segment I'm calling Tea Capping the Week with Mr. West. (sighs) Presented this week by R-squared T. That's right, R-squared T. The tea I'm drinking this week is R-squared tea's kukicha, or also known as twig tea. All right, so kukicha tea, like I said. It is a unique Japanese tea in the sense that it's not just made from the typical tea leaves that you normally get, but it's pretty much the entire Camellia sinensis plant. It's the leaves, it's the twigs, it's the stems... The whole thing. The whole kukucha if you will. Roasted kukucha tea from r Square tea is kind of smooth and nutty and slightly sweet in flavor. It's got, dare I say, a medicinal quality to it. Not in like the Robitussin sense, but in the sense that you're drinking it and you know, this is going to be good for me. It Is great. You can enjoy it throughout the day. It has a pretty low level of caffeine in it compared to other types of tea. And yet, it's got about 12 times more calcium than a glass of milk. Who needs milk anyway? Just drink tea. In addition, Kikucha tea also has been shown to promote alkalinity in the body, which can benefit the immune system, improve sleep, and help sustain energy levels. And we all know in education, we need all the help we can get sustaining our energy levels. Once again, R Squared is offering 10 free single serving samples, free shipping to the podcast listeners. So please DM their Instagram account at R Squared T. That's R S Q U A R E D T E A. And just mention that you are a wonderful listener of podcasts and they will send you a free sample of some Kukicha tea, or even some of last week's Pu'er tea. Free samples are, of course, provided on a first-come, first-served basis, and shipping restrictions do apply. Okay, so how have I been since I last left you? Uh, been pretty good. Uh, I had a friend of mine listen to the last episode and say, um, why did you only suggest that you've been really busy because of AP testing and reflecting, and uh, I said, what, "What are you? What are you talking about?" That's pretty much what I've been doing. And they're like, mm, "I believe you were doing other things as well, maybe writing a master's thesis." I said, "Oh yeah, that is true. I did write an eighty-page thesis uh, and complete my master's degree." So, uh, congrats to me. But yeah, I, mm, I, I don't, I don't know what to say. It uh, didn't even really occur to me that that was another reason why I was really busy. But yeah, I was pretty busy doing that. And uh, maybe one day I will talk more about it. I wrote my thesis on equity in education. That's very broadly. Uh, more specifically, I wrote about, I guess, really the perceptions that teachers and students have about Accelerated versus non accelerated classes, particularly in ninth grade, where, you know, all kids are sort of coming into high school and trying to figure out what high school life is like. Uh, You know, some kids are put in a general education class and other kids are put in an accelerated class. And what those divisions do to perceptions that students and teachers have toward one another and toward themselves. It was pretty fascinating. uh, And it was something that I think I'm going to continue to work on outside of the realm of my thesis program. But uh, yeah, I I was particularly busy working on that as well. So yeah, it it wasn't just uh, AP testing and reflecting. It was AP testing, reflecting, being a person, having a family, and, you know, working on a, a master's thesis. I've been busy. I guess I I just need to learn how to say no to certain projects. Um, Or maybe not say no, but uh, maybe not beat myself up so much if I don't uh, do all the extra things like this podcast. In terms of anything else that I've been doing, uh, honestly, I've just been doing my best to relax (laughs) as much as possible. Somehow the school year is just weeks away. And I feel both unprepared for the year to start but also excited because I feel more ready for the year to start uh it's a weird dichotomy it only happens to people who uh have wonderful problems like I've been on vacation for two months and I don't know how to go back to work (laughs) but uh I also love what I do and I know that uh, uh once I get back in it I'll be fine uh you know, it's it's like riding a bike. But I, I recently attended a, a conference for AP coordinators. And, you know, we were talking about all the changes that are coming next year because there are going to be quite a few changes coming to the advanced placement testing process or at least the registration or anything like that. And, you know, I was asking questions. Other people around me were asking questions. And one of my colleagues wrote herself a note and wrote a copy of that note for myself and put it on her computer and put it on my computer. And the note simply said, it'll be okay. And a little smiley face. And I just kind of chuckled when she gave me that note because though I wasn't freaking out maybe as others were, uh, it was definitely a nice reminder that, you know, it'll be okay we got this. Yeah, change is scary. Change is hard. Uh, Some changes are harder than others. But at the end of the day, it's going to be okay. So uh, I might need to take a photo of this note and share it on Instagram with everyone because it's, uh, frankly, it's the kind of note that we all need to get from time to time. You know, it'll be okay. So that was it. That was my very brief TCAP Uh, this week. I figured after last episode's very lengthy TCAP, you all could have used a very truncated TCAP. Very excited about this week's episode. But before we get started, let's pause for a quick fake commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by Pacing Guides. Pacing Guides, making the difficult impossible.
1: are making it better, making it clear, making it stronger, nice. a lot more media. So that's exciting. So uh,
0: welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so I talked about a little bit about you in the intro, mm-hmm. but I want to sort of talk about how you got to working in RJ Restorative Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your upbringing like? Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Santana,
1: otherwise known for some folks as Santa Ana, which is in Orange County. And I grew up, uh, but if
0: I walked around and I said, "Oh, I'm just gonna go down to Santana," people would just look at me like I was.
1: I I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. Like, I feel like if you, it's you know, that's a good question.
0: No, but it's like, like no. Seriously though, it's like when I watch like the Food Network and somebody goes, "Oh, this is some really good ricotta," and you're like, "Okay, you could just say ricotta. You don't have to." But I mean, <laughs> I think it
1: depends on like, I mean. It's a, the the complexity of yeah. like whiteness in like in a non-white space and so I think it depends on like intention and like courage
0: sure to, sure I mean obviously if I was um, if I was well intended then I don't think people but I still think people yeah. would look at me and all sideways. Like,
1: like I feel like if I knew you I mean I feel like if you, <laughs> I, you if knowing you now if you said Santana even like in the when we first met in the training I'd be like oh okay I think it just depends on the <laughs> intention of I don't sure. know but there's a lot it's complexities there too yeah 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 um but I think if, it, if you followed up Santana with like Bristol and Edinger, or like th- dropping some streets in Santana, then people would be like, "Oh, okay, he knows. So <laughs> oh, that, he's from. That, yeah, yeah, he knows, or he's he's eaten there. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. been there." <laughs> <laughs> and so, I've uh, been to
0: one of the hundred Kinsey stores that line, yeah, Main Street. Like <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh,
1: yeah. So I grew up. I grew up there, uh, and I grew up on a on a block where like we we everybody knew us. Like, everybody knew us before we were born. And so my, my grandparents were like the original owners of the house and like everybody else who lived in their houses were also like the original owners of the black, so mm-hmm. of the house. So it was an upbringing where we played outside, we like had this huge backyard. So it was really, we knew like the postman, you know, the trash man, like we, my, my grandmother, and my well I would have us go and bring them a soda. Like it was just like this very intentional, you know, people knew us in community. Yeah. And then in the 90s, actually, when just before the recession, because my father's a construction worker, mm-hmm. uh, when housing was cheaper in the IE, like in the, in the, in the Inland Empire, mm-hmm. they moved us to Merino Valley, uh, which was, we didn't want to go because we, by then I had been, I was in fourth grade in the same school. My sister was in kindergarten. And, you know, I had known, like, all of my friends since we were all in kindergarten together. Sure. Well, you've so, known each other since before you yes, were born. Yes, we're up <laughs> we there in the cloud, knowing that we're all going to go to John Muir <laughs> Fundamental And Apple
0: really just expanded very quickly. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> they had newborns yeah. in the cloud.
1: Oh, yeah, from Santana. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, but on the, but we still went to school for a years. And so we commuted from, like, Moreno Valley wow. to Santa Ana, to Orange County. Uh and we would get to like my Wallace house at like five AM Cause when you work construction like my dad did, you know, you guys you start sure. super, super early. Yeah.
0: That's just sort of So no. we'd
1: wake up at like I think at three in the morning, drive to my Wallace house, sleep for like an hour, and then get up and go to school. My mom was pregnant with my little brother, so she had ended up having like high blood pressure. So she was like, We can't do this anymore. Yeah.
0: It's a um, lot.
1: But on the weekends, we would go back to Santana. So all of my friends see all your friends, yeah. Yeah. In Moval. In Moreno Valley, did the same thing. So at that point, nobody had been born in Moreno Valley. Everybody Mm. was from Compton, Inglewood, Orange County. So on the weekends, there was this like mass exodus back home to wherever home was, because Moreno Valley was very suburban. A lot of stores, a lot of malls, a lot of restaurants. And so there's not like this. There's not this like oh, I know everybody from the block. I've been here forever. So that was different. So I think that has, I'm sure it's impacted my feeling of,
0: like, what a community should be that I work in or live in. Okay, I want to talk about authenticity and terminology with students, like, as Gilbert pointed out, saying Santana versus Santa Ana. I think it's really important to be authentic and to make an effort to reach out to students at their level and, you know, to model code switching. I also think it's important to learn about the culture of your students. For example, I love the Spanish word chisme, It means gossip. Uh, You can call a male student who is spreading gossip or eavesdropping chismoso or a female student chismosa. I love using these terms with my students because, one, it's fun, it helps me connect with them, but also because, frankly, there isn't a single English word that essentially means mind your business that is nearly as effective or fun to say to students. But if you're not being authentic to you and your personality, or if you're not coming from a sincere place of respect, you'll sound like these culturally appropriating newscasters trying to be hype for state testing. Good morning, TPS students. It is testing week, and it's time to slay all day. Stay woke beyond fleek. And get that Gucci breakfast. Goals. Say bye, Felicia, to that testing stress. Weather's gonna be turned, right, Chris? Yes. Toledo weather gonna be v lit during testing week. A hundo p chance of success. You've got this, kids. Steve, how about that traffic? Are we looking oak? Better than oak. We're talking turn. FOMO won't be an issue. Cool. 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 Very cool. Gilbert also mentioned something really interesting about his literal journey to school on a daily basis and how that Homeric journey he had to take had to stop when his grandmother became ill. There are a lot of things that we don't know about our students, and yet, on the whole, teachers? Man, we can be incredibly punitive with our students, talking about the real world and what kids need to know and deal with, etc, etc. And yet, I guarantee, even some of the toughest teachers you can imagine would soften if a student came to them and told them about their struggles and vulnerabilities. I mean, imagine if a student told you that he had to wake up at 4 a.m. to ensure that he was able to get to the school on time because he lived very far away. Of course you would make certain accommodations for that kid if he forgot his book at home or if he didn't finish an assignment on time. And yet, not every student feels compelled to share their personal hardships, either because they don't feel comfortable or safe doing so, or because they are worried that it makes them look weak, or they might even worry that they're blaming their parents. Whatever the reason is, it's their reason. So my wondering is this. Are we only capable of empathy and sympathy if we know all the may? Back to the interview, I asked Gilbert about the first time he learned about restorative justice.
1: I really... I, the first time I saw or like learned about RJ or restorative justice as a concept, I was maybe in college. I, there was a class that I, Where'd you go to college? I did take. I went to CSU Monterey Bay.
0: Uh, I was an otter. Go otters. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> California has some of the weirdest mascots. I mean, if you go up to Santa Cruz, they're the slugs, the
1: banana slugs. The banana slugs, yeah. the anteaters. Oh.
0: As a UC Irvine is the anteaters. Oh. It's just rat
1: eaters live in Irvine? Do they used to? Uh, They've been displaced. I, I don't think it matters. Okay,
0: because <laughs> at least otters live in Monterey in, Monterey, in the bay. That, that that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, so you went to you went to college, and that was your yeah. first introduction. Talk about that experience.
1: Yes, thank you for bringing it back.
0: Uh,
1: I yes, at, it was in class, and also so Monterey County has a um, the recon restorative justice victim offender reconciliation program <laughs> known as VORP, and what they
0: Oh, that old word? That old word. Yeah, everybody hears it. (laughs) Warp. (laughs) It's like you've been warped somewhere. Um, It sounds like either uh, what the sound like a ray gun would make uh or the sound an alien would make when climaxing. (laughs) (laughs) Warp! (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And
1: so, oddly enough, it's about uh bringing youth back into the community and and none of those, but maybe on another universe so it yeah. is I'd be excited to know that that would be really amazing
0: <laughs> <laughs> aliens finally come to visit and uh, like we're here to vorp, yeah and they're like, oh, <laughs> oh no, this okay. is not
1: what we signed up for yeah, and so especially with all these folks in the room young folks and and adults is not what we we're thinking no about. um and so what that program did and i i don't i I think at that point in my life, I was just so like eager to just like experience all these different things. And so I signed up to be a a, a volunteer. And it, what it was is like if a young person has a ticket or a citation, their case can instead of going to uh, a youth court or like a, a juvenile justice court, it can be referred to this nonprofit. And they will send out a mediator to go to the, like the young person's house and do an intake and ask the the narrative, what happened? What were you thinking at the time? uh What do you think the person needs, you know, to be, what could you do to make it right? And um, it, there was no like talking piece. There was no circle in the practices that I've been trained in, and what I teach now, but there was this basic idea around community and, uh, and listening, mm. and so I was super. I was like, "Oh yeah, this this makes this makes a sense to me." But I and I, then then I think then I graduated and then I started working and I, what I was never, your major? It was integrated studies, and I went to CSU because um, I'm just spending two years in Americorps and doing like national service work and serv- a lot of service learning. I was like, I, I want to do something that's active,
0: and that's so out you of went the to process. college thinking I want to. Get into some sort of nonprofit or not necessarily nonprofit. I knew that I wanted something in education Mm. because that was
1: important, and that was. I mean, growing up, we always played like teacher in class and librarian, (laughs) and my sister would bring her library, our library books, and I would like put them on this metal thing and like on the end, and I would like. I don't even know what that metal thing is for, but I still see librarians do it, and I would just kind of like do it. I'm doing this motion where you move it twice, swiping it twice.
0: Like at the grocery store. Yeah,
1: and then I would like open the book and then I don't know what we used to fake scan the, the barcode oh. in the book. <laughs> uh, and this was back in the day, so this is also when yeah. we had, you had to stamp the card in the, sure. in the front, right? So I th- we did have stamps. God help you if you lost that card. Yeah, right? And so, so I knew it had to be an education, but I knew it had to be something that was like embodied or active. Mm. I think having done a lot of physical work, Um, and so I, I, I knew what I wanted to study before I went to school. And I feel like a lot of folks may not, don't have that experience, but Mm. two years out in the field, I was ready. So was there ever a time when you thought you wanted to be a teacher? Yeah, I always wanted to be a teacher. And I think when I was in, when I looked at liberal studies and when I, I knew had a lot of friends that were in that degree program. And when I asked them like what they were studying and what they were doing, And what they were reading, like it didn't match what I was reading. Like I was reading a lot of Fieri, a lot of Bell Hooks. um, And I was reading more around like the, the around culture or around paradigm shifting around like oppression. And I was super interested and I did as a service learning student leader, we did a lot of work on around race and power and oppression. And so we did a lot of activities or facilitations or games related discussions. So that's what I was more interested in. Mm. And I also really wanted. Yeah, cause you,
0: you can touch on these issues as a teacher, mm-hmm. but ultimately you have to get to your content. Yeah.
1: So. And I really wanted to be in charge of what my content was. Mm. And I was hearing that that was not, that's not really the case. And so I really yeah. wanted to, I mean, more or less, but I, I wanted full ownership. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want someone to tell
0: me this is what you have to do sure. when you have to do it. I love this moment. Such a mature and self-aware moment from Gilbert that is too often ignored by many going into education. There's been a lot of talk in my district recently about the need to be a warm and demanding educator. I've been saying for years that love and rigor are not mutually exclusive, but I kind of like the label that comes with being a, quote, warm demander because it gives agency to the teacher to live in the middle ground between nurturing and demanding. It's like being the Goldilocks of teachers. Mama, Mama, this teacher is too nice and acts like we're all at UC Santa Cruz where the grading doesn't matter. Papa, Papa, this teacher is an authoritarian prick. Ah, Mama, Papa, this teacher is just right. Anyway, too often, prospective teachers don't know which end of the spectrum they live in before choosing a career in education, and they end up being either too nurturing or too demanding and essentially never even visiting the middle of the field. I asked Gilbert about his first job in restorative justice. My first job
1: was the coordinator of Caminos, which is the, a reentry program for students that were suspended or expelled. And that's where I heard all these stories of the suspensions and expulsions of students. Mm. And I don't know if I said this during our training, but, you know, a, a possession or banishing a weapon is an, an expendable offense, the Ed Code. But when I would sit with the young person and I would, you know, ask what happened, like, you know, what were you thinking at the time? A lot of the similar questions that we are, I now know to ask within what we call restorative justice. But back then it was like this young person, you know, that I'm being paid to like help you go back to school if that's what you want. And so eventually through a lot of questions like, you know, what do you where? Where's the best spot to get a taco? Or, like, what do you kick it with? Like, what's your favorite park? They would go into the story of, like, why they brought what they brought. And, um, you, yeah, you, you
0: don't start with the deep stuff. You just sort of yeah, you get have to, to the to, like, surface and you slowly up. start to dig but down. Often
1: people just want to go into, like, the thing, but mm. that's not how people work at whatever the age. <laughs> Most people, I think, no to, foreplay. Like, yeah. Right to it. <laughs> it's so you gotta have an appetizer before you get the big meal, I think. And uh
0: Oh, that was a much cleaner way of phrasing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I should go with that
1: <laughs> metaphor then. I mean before you're gonna warp someone, you really have to like. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, before be warping.
0: Yeah. Uh and
1: uh I got distracted by the warping. Where am I now? Um <laughs> yeah, so they would tell me that like Mr. Like somebody was about to jump me, like like that day or the next day. So then I was like, Oh so then my next question was, was there an adult that you felt you could like go to and tell and almost always it was like no and so for me there was this, there was this beginning of thoughts around having worked in schools even as a student and even like before and having worked in super amazing schools with super amazing teachers and also having worked with um very stressed out traumatized teachers and like the impact of that to classes and having seen things like teachers throw pencils in the classroom Or yelling at students or me as like this college student just being like i remember one time i was working the college access program and i was just like uh mr can i just like step in to teach this lesson it was math Mm. and he was like go and so i (laughs) just did the math lesson and we all got through it and so so i for me there was this um hearing the stories of students i was suspended or expelled of like what is what what's what's up with adults like in, on campuses like what what are they not getting cuz it's so clear the impact of a young person like that adult those adults worked there they had possibly the flexibility to not be there if they didn't want to possibly but you know this young person like is now out of school and sometimes it take took a few months for them to do the process to get back into a alternative ed site and so they could sometimes be, be not in school for, like, six months. Mm. Uh, which and if is they're also... not in school,
0: it's not going yeah. uh, to... That, that doesn't lead to better Yeah, situation choices. Man, this hit me pretty hard, and it took me a while to really digest this moment in the interview. I hadn't fully considered this concept that teachers, when needed, could simply take a mental health day, or could simply quit the job and go somewhere else if they wanted to, whereas... Students don't really have that luxury. I mean, yeah, sure, they can skip school or pretend to be sick, or they can simply sit in their seats and give that dead-in-the-eyes gaze at nothing like they're waiting for the mind flare from Stranger Things to give them their marching orders. But ultimately, they lose a day of their education if they do. They are put in a difficult spot where they can't simply call out or quit or go somewhere else without having a potentially seismic impact on their futures. I'm not saying that as teachers, it's our job to give kids a day off. I'm just saying that it's an aspect that I hadn't considered before. And say you get a kid completely kicked out of your school because they, quote, need a fresh start. Though that might actually be true in some cases. In many cases, as Gilbert notes, kids don't just leave one school on a Monday and enter a new school the next day. Getting kids out of school, particularly those with severe behavioral issues, is not going to help them improve their lives. It might make you feel better about your classroom management, but it's certainly not addressing the root of whatever the problem might be. Next, Gilbert explains the role of restorative justice, or RJ, if you're hip at the lingo, and he talks about how he's working with schools to help keep those at-risk children in school. Tell the podcast audience a little bit about what restorative justice is and the work you're currently doing with schools in Southern California. What RJ
1: is so not my favorite question because I'm just like it's so it's it's the the simplicity the complexity what is it not? of it. What, what is, is it not? not? Oh, I think it's what it's what it's not is um not asking someone like for their story. I think it's not um wanting to know more about someone. It's not taking the time to sort of build some type of relationship with them. What it is is.
0: I was gonna say what I learned uh-huh. in yeah, what the you? training is that restorative justice is not uh, about softening consequences, mm-hmm. and it's not about simply reintegrating the person who committed the "quote unquote" wrong act. Mm-hmm. You know, the the instigator, if if you will. Uh back into you know society uh, before before the training that I went to, I kind of was of the impression that it's like, okay, well, how do you address the root of the need of this person who is acting out? That's what restorative justice is, and then you go through the training and you say, well no, there's I mean there's a small part of that, mm-hmm. but it's so much more it's it's a it's a holistic approach mm-hmm. to dealing with imbalance in a community whether it's a classroom community or school site community it's not just about the person acting out but it's also about the person who's or the people who are affected by these actions Mm -hmm. and then of course how they respond and there's it's just it's a much more holistic approach which was something that i appreciated especially considering i walked into it thinking it was so narrowly focused on the you know, the person who perpetrated the acts that resulted in consequences. Mm.
1: Yeah. So that's, and that, that is all of the, the justice aspect of it. And that's all a lot of work to do. Like the work of accountability is, Mm -hmm. is a lot of work. It's like the sweat part of the work. The practice part is like the ways in which we can create accountability, which is through creating relationships, which sounds I I feel like that might sound for a lot of folks or not of like, oh well, yeah, like of course I know how to build relationships. Like I know mm-hmm. how to do that. But I think I
0: mean I like their photos on Facebook. Yeah. Done. But we're I mean, BFS. you know, if you
1: were to walk into a room, it's like if you go to a bar, well you're if most people, if you don't know anybody at the bar, like now we have cell phones, mm-hmm. or you might talk to the person next to you, but there's a there's still there's a there's often the need to like have someone facilitate something or give a specific prompt or like there there's a need for structure i think often even in building community or even in like relationships whether the structure is a swipe or a speed dating thing i don't know but that there's at least some structure to like have some connection made Mm -hmm. and connections are a deep need um and so i the justice piece i think is for most people be like oh i i don't understand that but the practice part of the reason why the practice part exists is because well feeling connected to where you are is actually is, is really important. And it makes you want to go back to that place. And so that's what, yeah, I, I, I often say like the complexity of the work might seem so complex because of its simplicity. It's around the need for relationships. But because schools are such, you know, institutionalized
0: institutions, um, sometimes that need doesn't quite get met. So what is, so you now, your job is you go into schools Mm -hmm. and you work with teachers, administrators to help them not necessarily change, but perhaps modify or adapt what they are doing to fit the RJ model of greater inclusion and empathy Mm -hmm. and community and respect Mm -hmm. and all that. What is something that you are seeing that's a commonality across a lot of the schools that you go to visit. Who are doing
1: the work or want to do the work? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, having a principal, an admin team who has been present in training.
0: Because I imagine you're only going to schools that are inviting you. <laughs> you're yeah, not just busting in the door. Yeah. <laughs> this school is a mess. We're here to fix it. <laughs> yeah.
1: That would be a crazy reality show. Like, we're going to RJ your school up. <laughs> <laughs> we're in circles everywhere. Yeah, Gordon uh, Ramsay is the one of the he's the oh host because he hosts everything. He's like he the just... most unrestorative person, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so uh that's a good idea for a TV show. Now I'm gonna take that and yeah, like done. Reality I'll show. I'll just take
0: RJ. 5% <laughs> on the back end.
1: Um the it was it only I mean, I just I spent all day yesterday with uh admin teams from five different middle schools in Coachella Valley, and the, it was the first for most of these folks, the first time they've ever like learned about this work. And the first questions are always like, how do we create buy-in? How do we do this? We don't have advisory. How do we do circles? Uh, how do we, Who? how does it work? There's one person that's been trained. They're doing circles. Why are we not seeing impact? And so these are all real legit questions. And so I, how to just remind folks like slow and steady. And mm-hmm. like, it's, it's actually young folks are going to be the easiest to work with. Mm-hmm. Even though there's, there are going to be challenges, yes, but it's actually you and your colleagues that are going to be the most challenging. And so when it comes to paradigm and mindset work, you know, and they would... Folks often mention, like, well, I have somebody who says that they're just there to teach instruction and content and not to teach relationships. Um, and that's a very real paradigm for many folks in schools today. Um, and so I... What has worked, what's been some of the ways of being successful in this work and its implementation are around um, being really personal in the work. So I think if an admin team, school culture team is excited about it, is aware of it, and just kind of begins to do it in pieces, as opposed to like, you don't want to bust in the door and be like, we're doing RJ all day today. Yeah, yeah. everywhere. That's going to mess with people's paradigm. Uh, the structure that is already in place, and the structure might ar- there there may already be gaps in the structure of discipline and of policy and education and instruction and whatnot. But I it can't be this quick makeover. You have to just focus on like one room at a time, like one mm-hmm. thing at a time. And so, success do you feel like is-
0: something that you see typically when you come in is that schools are almost looking for you to give them a quick fix that saves it.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just like when I was, so I was an architect coordinator for two mm. years. And so I was the person at the school in charge of this work. And so the school felt that I should, you know, that's it. Okay. So you're here. So we have you. So you should be doing the work. And that's not how this mm. work works. Or like we
0: have a three day training with you. Great. Now we're going to go back to our classrooms and it's going to be smooth yeah. sailing.
1: Yeah. It's not like I'm an interior designer. I'm going to like remodel this spot yeah. for you. And then like, you're done. You're good.
0: What Gilbert said here really resonates with me. You know, you can't just do a one-time quick fix for a school culture. It's like those reality shows where people come in to reorganize and declutter a house because it's become this hoarding nightmare. They'll come in and they'll say, oh, we found a place for this and a place for that. And then they'll just leave. Goodbye. But that's not really the end of it, is it? Because you're going to have to keep that up. You're going to have to put in the work to make sure it stays that way. I mean, that's just basic science, you know, entropy. Because our universe naturally shifts to destructive tendencies. It takes effort to keep things organized or aligned properly. Eyebrows are a perfect example of this. If we all left our eyebrows alone, we'd end up looking like NBA all-star Anthony Davis or the late great journalist Andy Rooney. Or worse, some sort of disastrous combination of Anthony Davis and Andy Rooney. Ugh. Like your eyebrows? You have to put in weekly, if not daily work to maintain a quality classroom in school culture. Part of this work for Gilbert and other RJ disciples is the work of circles. Here Gilbert explains. So circle is uh, like the main practice in restorative
1: justice. Uh, and what it is, is, is a, a structured space for storytelling, for sharing, for practicing communication. Um, for slowing things down for culture and community building and what it looks like is um often yes we we sit in a circle sometimes with many classrooms that is not this guy could be super challenging um but finding some way the sort the shape of the circle serves because then you can be you can see and be seen um and then the way that sort of the 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 how or the practice is often with a talking piece. And so a talking piece is an object of value or significance to the room, to the space, to the facilitator, which we call a circle keeper. Um, And often what happens is a question is asked and then folks respond to it by receiving the talking piece. And we say that it's a a big practice for us to pass to the left. And we often say because the heart is closest to the left side. we also say because Beyonce says so, and that seems to like really quiet down <laughs> students who are like, why are we doing I mean,
0: this? If, if we just all as a society followed what Beyonce said, <laughs> I think we'd be in better shape than we are now. Yeah. That's for sure. I mean, yeah. Like, Frank, quite frankly, we we could have followed, you know, what Michelle from Destiny's Child would say, and we'd be in much better shape than where we are now. It really doesn't matter yeah. as long as we're not following. Yeah, Beyonce and RJ. Next podcast episode, <laughs> exactly. Podcast. Beyonce and RJ. That's actually gonna be the title of this episode. Excellent job.
1: Oh my god, amazing. Love it. Um, and yeah, so it goes around, and people have the chance to to respond to it, but i don't know anybody that grew up communicating in that way and so there's a lot of just like good instruction and curriculum it has to be scaffolded and sequenced and so that's where games games are super powerful to come in to help and it's not just young folks to help adults or young or students form the shape of a circle because you can't i mean it takes a couple of minutes to form a circle, even with adults. If I were to say form a circle, I mean, there's still, there's still, it's not gonna be this like, and maybe I'm us do the work really want like a perfectly shaped circle. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's activities, team builders, games to help with that circle formation, to help with uh, the, to help with um the best practice of how do we move this space in the classroom to form a circle, or where do we go in the school to form a circle. But then also like we don't when we have we're used to. A dialogue or to being spoken yeah. to, but to actually have to sit or stand and listen to 30 people talk about their, their favorite ice cream, a lot of patience and listening has to be done. So, Well,
0: and also, you know, I remember, I remember the first time we were asked to get in a circle compared to like the last time we were asked to get in a circle. That first time it's just super awkward yeah you just like you don't know what to do with your body yeah. you're like why am i standing this way it doesn't feel natural and so even if even if i imagine a group immediately forms just like a you know leonardo da vinci perfect circle and you're mm-hmm. just like wow that's amazing you're going to look at all their faces and recognize that while the shape of the circle is perfect the feeling is far from natural right. and I mean, it's just, it's, it's a super weird feeling. You're just like, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. What am I about to do? Yeah. Is this yeah. going to get super Jesus-y? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just don't even know, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so the circle, we, it's a, it, it's a lot of practice. It's a restorative practice, and it's not one that we own. We always honor indigenous folks uh, who have created and, and lived in that in their practice, Um And so that is really the way that we, a structured way to build community and relationships for the purpose of creating accountability and relying on relationships when harm or conflict happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: What I really appreciated about the circle or the concept of the circles is that all of the activities that involved sitting in a circle and talking, it always built. Like you, you talked a little bit earlier about Starting at the surface and sort of digging your way down Mm -hmm. that even though people might be just, you know, ready to get into that thing, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who might not be, or there are a lot of people who are ready to get into a thing that they want to talk about, but not necessarily the underlying thing that's driving that. Um, And what I always loved is, you know, it, it always starts off. What's your favorite ice cream or, you know, something that superficial And then, you know, you sort of blink and you don't even realize suddenly, you know, someone is talking about what it felt like to uh, be evicted from their home. Yeah. And you're just like, how did we get here? Yeah. But it also feels natural because I, you know, it doesn't sound natural on paper to say Rocky Road ice cream. Oh, and then when my family was evicted, it's just like, Mm. you know, how do you make that jump? But it's this like slow burn yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, your your filters and your yeah. fears of judgment just start to slowly go away. Yeah. And then you get to really start talking about things that truly make up who you are, not just the surface of, mm-hmm. you know, mint chocolate chip ice cream, yeah. but, you know, I grew up with uh, just my grandparents or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, now you're really making connections.
1: Did you feel like you learned more about your colleagues in those days?
0: Yeah, I mean, there are certain things that whenever I see those colleagues now, it's one of my first thoughts is yeah. something that they shared in the circle. And that kind of sounds bad, but it's not. I don't think of it in a way of, oh, now I know this about them or, you know, the, the gossip that she's made about this person. It's more... uh, I know something deep about that person. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they could turn around and say something or do something that might highly offend me. But because of that practice, it would be lessened because I kind of know more about who they are as a person and, oh, maybe they didn't mean it that way. Or if they did, what was happening that made them... Because that's not... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, it suddenly makes anything bad that they do less terrible Mm -hmm. because I've gotten to know the root of who they are. I
1: remember power of the work.
0: Yeah. So what is the goal for restorative justice moving forward? What is something that you guys are working toward? I mean, our big vision
1: is really dismantling the school to prison pipeline. Like that's always in the bigger, larger picture of keeping students in school we're creating a set of frameworks of the things that we feel are important when a school wants to embrace this work. And one of the frameworks, Belly, art director, drops amazing seeds. And in a discussion around this framework for this infographic, what she said, um, no one is disposable. And so on the index cards on the on the table, and she names that, and I just had to like take a breath because I was so profound. This idea that no one is disposable. And so these sets of frameworks are for folks, for us to be mindful that every interaction, every implementation plan, every PD that might be planned around this work is with all these in mind. And so this idea of no one is disposable. If that if I had that in my brain the moment that because having worked in schools, I know what it's like to pee at four thirty in the afternoon when I had to go at like seven thirty in the morning, <laughs> or like not, I forgot that I didn't eat lunch, or you know I I I know that, and so I the it's so easy to it's so easy to like be activated after a whole series of activations and just want someone to leave this space and to so say that to a student get out, but if I had this. If in those moments when I wanted and the times that I did say that to a student, this idea of no one is disposable, I think I hope that that would have been so profound even that moment. So what we're moving forward with is um, more materials, still working towards that vision, more media tools around videos for training, interviews, videos of circle, which are a bit challenging because you need like two cameras to really capture the full work. Um, And really, I mean, RJ in schools is such a new burgeoning field. I mean, researchers are just beginning to really do studies in schools and just begin. I mean, there's a few studies, but it's still super new to do like a long term study. And so we're hoping we're hoping to like write a book and to really get the work out there for schools and for folks, communities to know that the, the, the work exist um and what it looks like and also the fact that we don't we don't own it we don't want to do it everywhere um but i can see how schools need the support to to do it so we're and we're also thinking about our own capacity but we're yeah our vision is the school difference pipeline our vision is also schools where adults and students want to be in and they feel comfortable in um and just that they have these these Set of frameworks like that no one is disposable. Mm. Yeah. So just you know that that easy work. Just yeah, that yeah little, I mean tiny, really that's like
0: so you'll be done by like December yeah, or we'll be done. Of maybe, 2019. Maybe break. Like yeah, done. Yeah. Man, what an interview. Lots to think about, lots to unpack. I've been really stuck on this idea of no one is disposable because It's something that feels so inherently obvious to me as an educator. And yet, if I'm being honest with myself, it's not a mantra that I routinely put into practice in my everyday life. I don't think I'm alone in this either. We are constantly looking at people who come from different backgrounds, who have different beliefs, whose values differ from our own, and we're pretty quick to dismiss them. No sense in talking to Uncle Charlie about politics. He's just too old and out of touch. No sense in trying to coach this teacher. She's just too stuck in our ways. Society will never change. People who live in ivory towers will never truly care about the people who live beneath them. And the world will continue to spin around the sun, etc., etc., etc. I really struggled with owning this concept that no one is disposable. Because it seems so pie in the sky, like I'm this wide-eyed Pollyanna figure if I believe it. But the reality is that if you don't believe this then all you get to own is cynicism. Now, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean you can't be realistic either. No one is disposable doesn't translate to everyone will change exactly the way you want them to change. It merely means that we don't have the right to dismiss the possibility that a person can grow, that a person can succeed, or that a person has worth. No one is disposable. I mean, the contestants on The Bachelor come pretty close, but... Even they might have potential Anyway, with the interview portion over, Gilbert and I shifted to some lighter games and segments. OK, so our first game I'm excited. Game segment is "Teach Me Pod Class Guest." This is an opportunity for my guests to show off their expertise in one of the many areas that they might be proficient. What is something you would like to teach the pod class audience? It could be anything. It could be how to uh, identify a blue warbler from, a, mm. I, don't, I don't know, birds. That was a really bad. I, I, I went too far on that ledge and now I can't go back. So I don't know what that example would be. Or uh, how to find a really cheap flight to wherever. Mm. It can be anything you want to teach. What is something you would like to teach the pod class audience?
1: It's connected to food. It's what's coming up for me right now. Um, <laughs> I remember, so I was a, it's, it's it's fun to be a student. And I took a class, a series of classes called Hood Herbalism. And it's about learning how to make plant medicine. Oh. And the first class was on teas. Um, and I learned that I was making tea wrong. So what I would like to instruct in a class today. Oh,
0: yeah, you are really speaking
1: my language here is on the how i've been told by uh, our teacher pere shout out to pere ho, um hood herbalism um around how to steep tea to get the full medicine for herbal teas for herbal I, teas I am, I am, okay i'm yeah? very yeah.
0: ready for this i don't think i've been more alert for did you have segment. tea this morning what kind of tea did you have I've, I've had i have tea i mean when don't i have tea like maybe yeah. when i'm sleeping your is when tea? i don't have tea Oh, God. I mean, it's like, what's your favorite student? You know what I mean? Like, what's, <laughs> yeah. your, what's your favorite child? Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I I love all teas. I think there are some really excellent black teas out there. There are some mm-hmm. delicious uh, green teas, tea blends. Uh, I think herbal teas. I mean, if I'm going to say anything, I think herbal teas might be slightly overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just given that they might not have the flavor that is, it might not have a strong enough flavor or it might be too floral. So here's
1: where this, this instruction comes in. So for herbal teas, like chamomile, lemon balm, Mm -hmm. peppermint, for Mm -hmm. herbal teas, the, the water should not be um, boiling. It should just be like right? because if you burn, you
0: could burn the leaves. It should be like 160, 165, something like that. Uh, I'm gonna pretend
1: that I know that and say yeah, yeah. yes, but I I don't know. But you know, you can you can Google folks at home. Um, so the water should not be boiling for herbal teas, and then for so this is for like loose leaf tea, whether it's in the tea bag or if you make your own tea like mm. at home. With like you can buy like the, the unbleached tea bags and then put the leaves in the tea bag. But when you um, after the water is simmering put drop the tea bag in whether it's in a cup or in like a a jar but you have to steep you have to cover it so mm-hmm. it should be covered to keep the medicine in um and this was for me was well there's the the two things for me that I didn't know cuz I figured steeping would be helpful but the first thing was to for herbal teas they should be steeped for a minimum of 20 minutes 20 minutes wow. to like 2 or 3 hours if you really want like the full medicinal effect so for a chamomile, I've steeped chamomile for like three hours for like stomach aches and whatnot. With honey, because how is, do you do you
0: just microwave it to reheat mm, it or
1: Yeah, or I just have it iced or I would just like heat it up again, really. And so I would take like a big like mason jar and steep a chamomile for like I think it was like two or three hours. Wow. It was super helpful. And so a minimum of
0: twenty minutes and then this also was interesting was our- this is going to be a problem for me because now my wife is going to start yelling at me for leaving pots of chamomile tea. on the stove for hours. <laughs> I mean, she already yells at me for leaving, you know, my tea bags. Which I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to re steep it. She's like. When did you, it's been sitting out here for five hours. I know I've, I'm on my third or fourth steep and it. it is a problem in the West household. And now you're just making it worse. Well, We're, my wife and I are going to come to you for restorative for, justice yeah, circle. Like yeah, so choose an agreement. Speak it. from the heart. Listen with respect.
1: <laughs> and then I hope that you, yeah. And, and um, give me I know. a call. Uh, That's my next I'm not job. easy to live
0: with, uh, <laughs> especially with my mountain of tea. I have like an entire cabinet yeah. filled. Um, so maybe if you would make some
1: tea for her, that might be, or some way if she likes tea or something. You know, like
0: it's. I think it's a good thing that my love of tea developed after we were a couple and we got married. Because I think if we met now, she's just like very ambivalent mm-hmm. about tea. And that might be a deal breaker if I were single. I'd be like, uh, I don't know about you. <laughs> but I've known her so long and my tea love has just sort of grown uh-huh. over the years that now it's just kind of like, She knows it's just a quirk of mine, Mm. but yeah, it's, it's not something that we can share. Okay. Well,
1: sometimes that's helpful. That's
0: something that you don't share. This is a me thing. Yeah. It's a a, a me problem.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the last thing is um, herbal teas can actually dehydrate your body. So if Mm. you're sick and you're drinking a lot of herbal teas. What
0: specific herbal
1: teas or all herbal teas? I remember, I remember we, in the class, we worked with burdock, which is like a root tea, which is like a blood toxin. Mm. A, bl- a blood detoxifier and burdock is like a, the r- a root that grows like three feet into the ground. So it's an infusion then? Yes. Yeah. yeah. An infusion. Yes. Yeah, there You know, you know. So there's that infusion if it's Come a root on now. At least if it's like a tea.
0: <laughs> my students, I've said this before and I'll say it again. My students last year, because I got in the newspaper twice for my. Insane love of tea. Like really? The newspaper came in like, "Hey, we hear you're a crazy person. We'd love to have you as a story." What newspaper? Um, you? Just That's the, like the local okay. Long Beach That's newspapers, easy. and I have a tea club and all that. But they call me the their tea huh. because <laughs> I'm like 98 <98% laughs> percent tea supplements now. Uh-huh. So yeah, I'm 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 quite aware of the okay. So for those not Step aware, Step off my block. There, yeah. Steep the tea. 20 Steep minutes tea. minimum. Don't spill teas. the tea.
1: Don't spill the tea. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe I mean, while you're drinking it. You maybe while you're it drinking little, it. Yeah, uh, Spill the tea if you feel that you're in a positive relationship with someone so that you can, when you spill the tea, a.k.a. treatment gossip, mm. you know, you could do that. But be accountable for the impacts of it afterwards, possibly. Uh yeah. <laughs> so that's my tea instruction.
0: That's really so. good. Okay, so... Steep your herbal teas for way longer than you think you should. A minimum of twenty minutes, if you want the full medicinal Man. effect. And covered, covered. That's crazy. Yeah. Like I said, plants I, are powerful. The the pots of tea that are gonna sit on my stove now. Yeah. I'm gonna have my wife call you about this.
1: I mean, if you put it in a clear jar, it looks like you have like a thing of urine. You, you, you look like Howard Hughes. Different. <laughs> <laughs> you have different. All your urine stored everywhere. Yeah.
0: Uh well. Now you've just made me into an even crazier tea person. <laughs> People are gonna think I have jars of my urine just sitting around. No, 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 that's my tea. Don't touch, touch it. Tea. Ah, well, this yeah, is great. I'm I've tea. learned something. The podcast audience has learned, yeah, probably far too much about me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Steep the tea. Steep that tea. Okay, so we've come to the saddest part of the show. Oh, and we got to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, but before. We say goodbye. I always give my guests an opportunity to give an extra credit assignment to the pod class audience. Mm-hmm. This can be anything. This could be a book they should read, a TV show they should check out, type of food to try. Mm-hmm. Between now and the next show, what is an extra credit assignment you'd like to give the pod class audience? I mean, you'd like for them to try or check out.
1: <sighs> so as a listener to
0: podcast. And hearing other interviews and knowing this extra credit assignment. Um, this is already my favorite interview ever because now I have somebody who actually listens to my show. Oh, yeah. Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, note to any future guests, just tell me you listen to my show and you will become my favorite <laughs> interview. <laughs> <laughs> just um, validate me, please.
1: My, I What I'm going to assign is to select three reasons to take three breaths. Consciously, either before uh The day begins or before something that you think might activate you or a moment when you feel grounded or at the end of a long day. But three collective breaths in sequence for yourself. The first breath would be for someone that has inspired you, someone that has uh, loved you in the past. So seeing that person's face and taking a breath for that person. The second breath is for something that you do for yourself that makes you feel joy. And so thinking about something that fills you with joy and taking a breath for that. And then the third breath uh, that I'm asking folks to take for extra credit is for their future self. And so consider where you want your future self to be or what feeling you want your future self to have and to take a, see your future self and to take a breath for yourself. And so taking those three collective breaths, one after the other, before something challenging or after something very grounding is my extra credit assignment.
0: I like that. So just before you dive straight in, Mm -hmm. pause and just, I I guess it sounds like you're telling the, the audience to force themselves to become more aware of not just what they are doing, but... What is driving them to do the thing mm-hmm. that they're about to do? Mm-hmm. So what inspires them? What motivates them? Yeah. A framework in that is that I, I am my own
1: resource, that I have wisdom, mm-hmm. and that I have resiliency, really. That's yeah. really good. Thank you. Yeah. I've been listening
0: to a lot of Oprah's Super Soul Sunday podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, I will say Oprah aware. is the number one. I was just telling my wife this yesterday. I was like, if I had to give up Instagram, which would be very hard because I do love Instagram. But if I had to give up every single person that I follow but one person... That one person would be Oprah. Oprah is the greatest follow on Instagram because, I I, I mean, I can't even describe how insane it is. Like her personal one? Her, her like, super I – mean, she
1: has, like, many, right? Oh, no. She,
0: her personal Oprah. Oh. All she posts about are, like, her garden. <gasps> Check out this zucchini <laughs> I just grew. And you know she didn't actually grow it. She just, like, picked it because the farmer was like, here, pick this one. Uh-huh. And she's like, and look at all these other vegetables that I'm growing in my garden. And, like, uh, you know – None of it makes sense. She is the best Instagram follow. Mm.
1: Um, okay, good to know.
0: Yeah, so that that'll be my yeah. extra credit assignment. If you're not following Oprah okay. on Instagram, you got to do it. It's you're like done. it's just the best. And just go through her history. It's it will make it will fill your soul. <laughs> it will be one of those Oprah soul super soul moments. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show. This is really too. great. Loved having you. Uh, anything you want to plug before we leave?
1: If any schools out uh, out out need support in RJ Limitation, you could contact us at c c a c e j dot which is our organization. Or and we have our RJ schools page there. And someday this year we'll have our own podcast, so I'll I'll let you know.
0: Ooh. Ooh, we're gonna have to battle it out. Oh, battle the yeah, contract. battle it out for my three listeners. Ooh, wow, get off That's my corner. Crazy. Okay, <laughs> thank you for the invite. No, thanks for coming. This is great. Thank you. I loved it. Okay, that is our show. Thanks again to my guest, Gilbert Salazar, and thank you, my podcast mates, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, go right to the podcast homepage on whatever platform you get the show and leave a five-star rating. The more ratings my show has, the easier it will be for people to find and enjoy. Also, don't forget to come back next time for our third installment of the Lost Episodes of Season 1 with American Sign Language Educator and EdTech Enthusiast, Angela Merrill. And please don't forget to share your feedback on this episode. Please let me know what you think of the changes. Really interested to hear your thoughts. You can, again, reach me through social media under the username at West or via email at podclasspod, that's pod at gmail.com. That's all for today. Podclass dismissed.